Nothing discussed with Sherry Daniels in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Anxiety to Clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala, and this project has been an ongoing labor of love, both from Kahimohala and uh, my colleague Trisha Kajimura and the Leong family in Brain Gain, Hawaii. So with that, we're going to take a look at where we are now as we're in the first part of October. We've entered a very warm October, no wind, very, very, very hot for most of the islands, got a little bit of shower, which only brought on more humidity, which seemed to intensify a lot of the feelings that many of us are having about where we are at this stage of the year with COVID-19. So where are we? Well, we're a little less than two weeks away from opening the state to travelers with a pre-travel protocol. And we're gonna see how that's going to go. We've talked about that at length, so we won't go out into that here. Uh, Oahu has been opening up. Uh, there's still a great deal of reticence to be out and about. I was at Ala Moana for a very quick trip a couple of days ago, and it was a virtual ghost town. So not necessarily what any of us are used to seeing. And many people's lives have gotten a lot smaller in the last seven, eight months or so that they've been... Uh, told to be careful or to be inside or to stay at home. And uh, it's gotten a little more difficult for people, I think, to be out and about and feel like they have a sense of normalcy with the back and forths that we've gone through with the stay at home orders and the partial opening up and you can do this, but you can't do that. Very confusing for a lot of people. And at the base of this is the whole healthcare discussion of COVID-19, what it means for us psychologically, and what it means for us physically. Today, we're gonna to take a look at that through the lens of Native Hawaiian health and well-being. And we have one of the best people in the state to do that. Sherry Daniels joins us from Papa Ola Lokahi on Maui. And I'm so glad to be able to talk with you again, Sherry. Yes, myself too. Thank you, Beth Ann, and, and you know, good morning to everyone. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be joining you and, and just having conversations. It's kind of like that Saturday morning, um, you know, on Maui now, our Sunday paper is now the Saturday paper. So, you know, it's kind of like, let's talk story. Let's just kind of just see what's going on with each other and what's happening around the state. We really meant this project to be that kind of touchstone looking at COVID through the lens of, of mental health, especially obviously with, with the, the connections and the sponsorship of, of Sutter Health Kahimohala and our, our, our interest in the, in the fact that we haven't had a lot of parity of mental health with physical health and COVID-19 for, for better and certainly for worse has been able to spotlight what those needs are throughout our community and looking at it through our, our sub-communities too, but especially looking at what you have been seeing in the Native Hawaiian community and a lot of the issues that were pre-existing to COVID that now have been in some ways highlighted by COVID. How would you characterize those? You know, I think you hit it right on, right on the nose, Bethann, that um, I don't think anyone is um, in disagreement that our community has faced quite a lot of health disparities over the years, um, over the decades, and, and we continue to. Um, but I think what COVID is um, creating for our community is this even more so, um, the reality of how we intersect everything with our everyday lives. And I, and I think everyone is doing that regardless of what community you're from. But I think for Native Hawaiians, you know, there's so many layers on top of layers when we talk about when you're already challenged to begin with, um, to add things that really, um, like you said, highlights, but also I think points out the obvious and there's nowhere to go but to take a look at it. It's really hard because that's not what we've been I think um, allowed to do or taught to do, right? It's we 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 do all these other things instead of what we need to to focus on the root cause. Um, not to say that 
not a lot of work has been done in this area, especially around mental health. I think even in the last 30 years, um, our communities have become much more aware, more insightful around what that means. We know our community has a really high number of suicides, mental health, whether it's also coupled with substance abuse and other chronic conditions, all of that plays in. But I think COVID's added, added another layer that now starts to really include the economics, the housing, all these other social supports, not to mention as a community and as a culture, the need for connection, the need of how we connect. All of those things are, are not norm. So it's not like we we shifted in one area, but we still have all these others that we can manage with. Everything has been shifting. Everything has been, is different. I think we all can agree to that. And so when we talk about how we manage mental health in our community, it's one thing when it's one or two issues, right? That, okay, we're gonna walk through this. When it's like five, 10, maybe more. And it's not just a small pocket. It's, it, there is no, um, getting out of this some everyone has been touched by this right everyone whether you still have your job but you're working from home whether um you know your your kids are now at home in school maybe you're also now um, taking care of an uh, of an older adult you know all of us have been touched by it right we see it. you you mentioned ala moana i mean um even here on maui you drive around and it's 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 very surreal. I feel sometimes like I'm almost back 30 years, 40 years, where there were less cars, less people. Um, but you wonder, like, how, how are people managing? And I think I always ask that, yeah, ooh, how are people managing? How are people finding those opportunities? And, and, I, and I feel very weird saying this, but self-care, I mean, we hear it, we've heard it with September being Suicide Prevention Month, right? We've heard a lot of, um, PSAs around talk to somebody, um, you know, find a friend, share what's going on, because we recognize that that is a legitimate concern with COVID. Um, but it's almost this guiltiness of saying, you know, I know, Beth, I'm going to call you and let's talk story. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard day. And it doesn't make a, it doesn't help, like you said, that it's so humid, right? It's so humid. It's so insult add, really to injury um, I know. on so many levels. And we can laugh about it. It's almost, you know, dark, dark humor with it, but it just is that rises and everyone is feeling so much that it just seems to be the, the, you know, the external emblem of, of how many people are feeling with so many of the issues that you just raised. But I want to talk to you about some of those because of, there's a lot there to unpack with what you've said initially. I mean, the idea of how connection looks within the native Hawaiian community, as opposed to how connection looks outside of it. Very, very different. And right. if you can talk a little bit about, uh, I'd like to talk with you about what's been lost, because it seems like there has been something fundamentally you know, removed from the picture to maintain the health and, and well-being of people physically, but that it's really demoralized uh, the mental health of the Native Hawaiian community in a very different way, although allied to what the rest of us may be feeling, but, but something that the rest of us may not be engaged with in the way that Native Hawaiians have been. How do you see that? Well, and I think you bring up a really, uh, really interesting um, intersection because I don't think it's just Native Hawaiians. I think it's Pacific Islanders kind of in, in general. And, and on top of that, the additional layer is local, local culture, local, um, in the way we exist, the way we kind of yeah, own living in community in a right. very, very different way. Yeah. In a very different way where, you know, you're much more aware of what's happening with your neighbors. You're much more in, you know, in tuned or, you know, wanting to be, um, not so individualistic, but communal. And I think that's really the big part of a lot of Pacific Islander, Polynesian, Native Hawaiian communities is we're very communal, right? And we, and we, but, but that's Hawaii too, right? We're all used to going to graduations, weddings, baby luau's, and so, um, and even funerals, right? And so how do we do those functioning things that are respectful and we want to do and we want to celebrate these great things or mourn 
something that is important to us, but do it in a way that's safe. And I, and I, and I think several communities, um, including Native Hawaiians, have really, really looked at um, those events and how we can still celebrate, but celebrate it in a way that um, keeps the rest of the community safe. Um, you know, there's been campaigns around, you know, masking up, um, making sure we watch out for our kupuna, right? That it's not, uh, it's not about us. It's about the actions we take influence and impact the greater community. And I think at the, at the end of the day, that is the core of, of Native Hawaiian communities and Pacific Islander communities is we come together to support and uplift and never making it about this individualistic piece. But unfortunately, COVID puts us in that kind of space, right? Because we're, we're, we're to isolate, we're to kind of restrict our movements, we're, you know, encouraged to wear a mask where, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about you, Beth Ann, but I really have a hard time um, gauging people's reactions when they have a mask on. And so, you know, in that social cues kind of thing, how, how, are, you, how are people doing that, right? Because you see a part of somebody's whole face and, and in our community, that nonverbal, you pick up a lot of that. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm always, you know, it's like, I, I, I feel like I have to lean in a little closer, but then you don't want to because, you know, it's like, oh, wait, wait, six feet, of, you know, six feet of physical distance. And, yeah. and I think that's really a challenge. And I, and I think it's, it's especially a challenge for people who are used to being in very close proximity to each other's faces. I mean, sharing breath, being able to experience someone in a very close way, which is not necessarily the way other people may behave external to the Native Hawaiian or you know, uh, uh, Pacific Island communities. It's a very different way of being and a different way of associating oneself within community. And right. although I see a lot of people who made adjustments to attend weddings and or funerals, uh, baby luau's, going to uh, celebrate graduations. I mean, people have gotten very creative yes, around yes, all that. Yes. But it's very different, I think, within the, the Native Hawaiian community because of the way in which generationally people have lived. And so it's so deeply rooted. It's so deeply felt that it's more than just uh, you know, a, a sudden thing of, of oh, I'm, I'm isolating and, and this is, doesn't feel good. And how do we celebrate this? Or how do we do that? Right. It seems like there's just a, a much greater depth to it. Uh, and I don't mean to be projecting, but it just seems looking at it generationally and how people behaved and what they did together and the way in which they did that together. It seems like there's just much more there that may feel the impact of a COVID isolation. And well, so and I, how are people coping with that? You know, I, I think you're right. Um, I think people, you know, I, I don't think anybody, we know we never anticipated the length that this would take, right? So, you know, it's, it's not just, um, okay, let's try to, you know, do these things. But now we're at the, we're at the stage where, okay, how is our life going to look different? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to figure out on top of whatever pile of other things we've got going on, that we can still have this connection to family, friends, um, our community. Um, I, you know, I, I think that is a challenge because when you're used to even, um, you know, going to going to your family's house for for the weekend, for to the beach, to those kinds of things that are really opportunities to have, you know, have fun, have kind of that you know, to decompress, um, even that becomes a stressful event. And so I don't think at this stage, we really know what the impacts are. I think there's a lot of, we, we kind of see it. We know that mental health, we know that the increase of some of those other social, um, you know, components, the domestic violence, the um, increased stress, all of those things we are in we are going to anticipate is going to go up just right. from even if you look at the and I don't want to say healthy or family because I I do believe everyone has these moments of of stuff stress 
things, right? But in, in you know, the, the best scenario, you have a family who has the means, they have the mechanisms, maybe they have the space for their kids to have, you know, school. Um, mo you know, mom and dad are able to still have a job, but remotely. Even just that stresses, right? A family or a person is not able to delineate opportunities for breaks. How do we create those very intentional pockets? You know, and in our, in, in before COVID, people struggled, right? But you kind of managed, you, 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 could, you, you could manage. This really has thrown a loop for it. And I don't really believe we have a really clear grasp on what that's going to kind of project out. And even in the next several months, I think we're I don't gonna- I think anybody that. does, Sherry, no. honestly. I mean, the truth of the matter is that within the, you know, the mental health community, as you know, uh, we're all expecting that there's going to be this mental health wave and how long we may see the effects of COVID-19 and certainly on children with social and emotional learning and the fact that we may see kids who kind of move into two different directions. One group that may be highly resilient and another group that may fall greatly behind and may feel greater impacts than their peers just the way in which you know children may be able to react to all this. We don't know a right. lot of that yet. And we may not know that for quite some time. And that's going to be for, for everybody. But yeah. the way in which that that sifts into the Native Hawaiian community may look very, very different because we already know that there are certain issues with health equity, uh, yeah. as well as learning, as well as there's you know, places within the community where the Native Hawaiian community isn't necessarily fully engaged out of choice or maybe not out of choice, but certainly dealing with that piece of health equity, both mental and physical health, uh, that, that I think is, is gonna be a, a big one that we're gonna have to wrestle with in a way that maybe we only gave it some lip service in the past. Yep, yep, and you're right. And I think what, we're, what I think we'll also see is the resilience of a community. And you know, when we look back, you know, the, the, uh, the health inequities and the disparities. And I think we tend to look at that because somehow, somewhere, we've, we've believed that that ties into resources, right? That that ties into getting things. But I, but I do wanna kind of just mention that, you know, a lot of these communities that have had challenges that continue to struggle and have challenges have levels of resiliency too. And I think that may be that untapped key that mm. what will that be? How will that look like? Because I think you're right that, you know, for the Native Hawaiian community, all these other things will continue to grow, right? All these new pieces is gonna, con is gonna layer on it. Um, I, I just wonder if it won't become the easy, like a scapegoat of it was COVID. Because of COVID, right? all of these things because of COVID. Well, I don't think it's because of COVID. I think let's, let's be real and look at that. These things existed before COVID. We just- So how do you get them to stop scapegoating that? I mean, are you already making plans? I mean, not only as an organization, um, but just you know, as, as a concerned citizen and a very active voice within the Native Hawaiian community, how do you make sure then that it isn't scapegoated so that people just sort of lump it into the one basket of, well, it happened because of the pandemic, as opposed to the failure of society to look at some very real issues that that's, you know, people were tracking, certain people were tracking, but they weren't getting a broad hearing within right. the greater community to be able to truly fix it and to see that resources were appropriated in, in certain ways that would have made a difference and set up the Native Hawaiian community to better cope with COVID or anything else that may come down the line. Well, I think you're right. If we, if, and, and you know, yes, um, Native Hawaiians, but I think any, when we look at vulnerable under marginalized communities in general, and, and we're not saying just because of the numbers or just, but if we look from that lens, um, I think we see utilization or request of resources or pulling into resources, right? Based on those underrepresented communities, using it to, to support the greater 
the greater community good, which is great, but really looking at the, the, the root of the issue, I think when we kind of, if we really have a honest look back and, you know, of, of resources, of services, of support, I, I think there were efforts to try to improve, you know, health disparities in Native Hawaiians and in other communities. But when the resources are very small to do big things, you only can do so much, right? And they don't get addressed. So it's kind of like, then that just continues and then the new, the new issues get layered on top of it. Um, and so I think from a community standpoint, there's also the, the part of, I think many in our Native Hawaiian communities are starting to ask questions about the like bigger issues health is a really large issue. Mental health is part of that. But there's also the piece about economics, right? Because we all have to live and survive. Health is part of that cycle. Health is also part of this cycle of education and how we offer those kinds of opportunities to our community. And so when we look at a social determinants of health model, you know, I, I wonder sometimes when we say our state is the healthiest or the happiest, what are we really looking at? Because if I looked at a social determinants of health model, that is not what I'm seeing across all communities. And so, you know, I understand why we say that. I, I, I get it. But, you know, we got to really look at the data and look at the data in a, in a disaggregated fashion so we can be really be honest. I think somehow we think that if we're not honest, we won't get resources or maybe we won't show that we've done work, but I, I, I tend to disagree. I believe when we really be, are honest, the good and the bad, we can act, that's actually opportunities to do better. And I think there's ways that we can be um, used as a model so that we can see what is the range of resources, services, programming that can be made available, right? So it's not the one size fit all, because we recognize in many communities, even geographic communities, what works mm -hmm. in Waianae will not probably work down in Kau, right? Maybe some of it will, not all of it. And we tend to just um, create, you know, um, cookie cutters for that. Although I do have to say um, there, there are attempts to give us a range of cookie cutters. It's just, we cannot all use circles. Some of us need squares and, and rectangles and, and triangles or something very different. So I think, you know, the circle work was what we had for many, many years. And then they, they you know, folks decided, well, let's give them some options. Let's give options to, to communities. We're gonna give them, you know, four different sizes of the circle cookie cutters. And now I think we're starting to say, yeah, no. But I think one of the barriers of reality is the fun, the resources that's tied to that. Because if the numbers aren't large enough, if the community isn't vocal enough. Then, then it gets not, marginalized. Right. And then, then it becomes, well, they didn't say anything. They, you know, they never brought it up. The challenge is that these communities that are marginalized are just trying to survive. They are just trying to survive and live. And these policies, these larger, bigger pictures are so far off of their radar. It's not that it's not important to them, but what's important is the right now, the moment now, and maybe in the next two or three months, right? So, so let's stop there for just a moment because I know you've said a great deal about how resources have been appropriated who's getting them, who's not getting them, the fact that it's not one size fits all or even just a couple of options that don't fit everyone, that we really have to look at it at a much more um, granular level. I hate to use that term, but, but really getting into the bones of it and seeing the differences of communities and what they really need and how to create mechanisms so that those voices can better be heard when everybody wants to sort of aggregate things so they can be done in a lump sum. So what is it that you think, particularly as we're, as we're still dealing with COVID and are gonna be dealing with that for a long time, what do you think is going to be the, the difference in making this time a time of real change 
in the way that uh, marginalized communities and those who are greatly at risk, be they Native Hawaiian or not, are going to be viewed going, going forward or at least be able to get greater resource help in a meaningful way, not just you know, money or a program or this, but something that really is going to work better. How do we better integrate that knowledge so that you have those better choices? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I mean, I think in the last several days, we've all seen things on the news around the restaurant cards, the this, the, you know, all of things, you know, and I think when you, when you really look at people's comments and, and what people are feeling, a lot of it is about choice. A lot of it is about transparency, optics, all of those things. Um, I, I do think people are becoming much more, even as, as oppressive as it feels many of the times, I do believe communities and people are starting to just kind of pay more attention to things. And so I do really strongly um, believe in transparency. I also believe no two communities are alike. They might have similar traits. They might have mm -hmm. very, um, in alignment needs. Um, and, and, and it goes back to, you know, at the end of the day, Native Hawaiians, yes, this is our land, this is all of that, but we were never an exclusive or an, you know, excluding others. We've we've never been that community in any Far way. Far from it. Far right. From and it. and so I, I do also believe that we have to one within our Native Hawaiian community, which there are many many opportunities and ways that we've been doing this is to have safe space to have conversations right to empower ourselves to have those voices but to recognize that you know um native hawaiians have opinions they're very intellectual and and, and there are going to be differencing of opinions in any community right but i think it's also not using those differences of opinions in a community to create divisiveness. We have to recognize that we're not, we're, we're not gonna be all 100% in agreement on the pathway in which we have to take something. I think we will be in agreement on that, that end goal. And I think mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the, the challenge is how do we reprogram, re reshift the machine, and I say the machine as really the mm -hmm. funders, the policymakers, the the how whoever is that we recognize as being responsible for mm -hmm. the societal things that are happening, right? How do we help them recognize that the way that the game and the system has operated may not have been the best suited? It's not going to help everyone in the same way that you want, and that there's going to have to be some adjustments, some, some tweaking here and there, if we all agree on the same end goal. But we get so stuck in the pathway to get there that we lose sight of it after a while, right? Because what happens is divisiveness comes in, this almost like, well, why do they, not us, all of that. And then it, we start fighting over the resources and the resources may not be large. And so it sets up this sense of behavior of us and them, of and it shouldn't be. It should, it should never be that way. And so, so I, give I, me an example of that, of where you think that that could be changed. I mean, is there something in your mind that, you, that you've been thinking about for a while in the way that we talk about the, the way uh, divided resources can happen in a positive way and in which various communities can be honored without having the divisiveness come into it, where we've seen you know, everything from you know, what happens you know, everywhere from, you know, up on the mountain to any other place, just right. how that is going on. That's dividing people in ways that are um, unfortunate and unhealthy. I mean, people have differing opinions and that's fine, but the way in which this divisiveness has been driven in seems to be all the more a reason to, to step back and try to find a reason to create a better way to talk about it, to, to have a better way of being able to 
divide resources and to honor. And I'm wondering if you have any sort of, I don't know, uh, you know, a prototype or a sample in your mind of if, uh, let's just try it on this. And if it works here, maybe it'll work over here. If there's a what? way of showing exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Well, and I, I don't want to give two examples. I think one, we definitely, for those who have who've been tracking the whole contact tracing, um, you know, communities, we recognize, um, even from a systems perspective, they know what the heck is going on, especially in smaller communities, right? I mean, Native Hawaiians, it's a larger, but as we start breaking it down, you know, um, somebody here on Maui will be much more in tune in what's happening on Maui. Right. So how do we start linking them to, okay, what's the voice larger? What are the voices around those different islands and having those mechanisms, but really understanding that communities, those trusted individuals within communities really hold a key to a lot of things. Right. And so um, when this kind of happened, there was, uh, we saw it surging in some of our Pacific Islander communities and really, um, you know, the conversation was, let's get, where are, why are those communities not at the table? And I think, you know, we've moved from, we want to sit at the table to, um, no, we want to have meaningful conversations at the table that, that, that create meaningful outcomes, right? Uh, so why are we not going right to the sources? And what, what happens is, you know, the, the mechanisms are set up but it's not nimble and it's not flexible. So if a community says, yes, this is what we need. This is how we can do it. This, is, this would work. The mechanism that provides, if there are resources, can't because that's not the way it was established. And so I think over time, and, and over time meaning in a very quick way to start to figure out like, well, these communities are gonna try to figure it out on their own. And what, what happens is you're gonna have some of that machine shift the best they can. But what's gonna happen is a large part of that machine isn't, which to me, that's where the concern comes back because when we kind of get over the hump of this, will the departments, the agencies, those mechanisms continue to shift in this change or will they revert back to what they're comfortable with and what the status quo is? So I do see when we look at these, um, the surges in the, in the Pacific Islander communities, they did. They said, we need, we need translators. We need people to help our community understand the process because if they don't understand it, there's fear and there's, there's uncertainty, there's confusion. And, and there was news stories about that, I think the last couple of nights, right? So that is definitely, but I do have to say where it's changed is the fact that the Department of Health is recognizing the need to do that. Now, that's it, different than saying they've done, I mean, like they're gonna do a great job. Right. The fact that they're trying, we gotta give them that. Right. Um, yeah, and, and just, just on that point, because I think that's, that's the one that many of us, and certainly this turned up in the news when it was happening last month, and, and we realized that Although you know Pacific Islanders may be four percent of the population, it was well over you know 30, 32 percent of the cases that we were seeing during the surge. And the the point that many people you know seem to come to after seeing that is, well, why didn't we approach them in a different way? Why didn't we you know have it translated so that people could understand and not just see everybody else running around trying to make something happen? But what that something was was a little vague and unknown and scary. Mm -hmm. um, and if we'd had that sort of, uh, that, that ability to do this in advance, uh, you know, this sort of, you know, instead of the, the pound of cure right. that it right. seemed that it took, you know, yeah. to have just a little bit more forethought about it and a little bit better planning and, and real recognition that there are micro communities that need to have that delivered in a different way. I think your point is that, you know, will we be able to leverage this kind of learning into future situations where we're not dealing hopefully with a pandemic, but we're dealing with what our community writ large as well as sub-communities need and how those two things interact with each other. 
Right. And I, and is, I do, I agree. And I think, one of, I think, yes. And I, and I, and I do want to say, Bethan, that a lot of it too is the system, the departments, right? The government, they're looking at the larger public health, right? That's their kind of thing is, well, we're looking at the bigger community and, you know, to single out a community could create, you know, uh, device, you know, could create almost this unintended effect, right? We don't, we don't want to stigmatize them. We don't want to do those things. But I think when we step back and we go, okay, so what are the factors? The factors didn't change because of COVID. The factors were already there. And the factors had to do with socioeconomics, a large driver. The factors was we live in a, a multilinguistical community and cultural community. So why weren't those things already part of the packaging that happens in, in, in other services, right? Because they are a part of the community, all of us are. So I think it's raised from a, from a very different social perspective. It's raised a question around equity in terms of culture cultural equity, right? When we, we, we look over the last year or two prior to COVID, we've seen blips of, especially the native Hawaiian community, really mm -hmm. pushing back on things around language access in the, in, the, in the criminal justice arena, right? With the judiciary. We've been looking at the Mauna. We've, there's uh, water resources. All of those things were active well before COVID came into the picture. So then it makes one think like, why were those things not done then? Well, so that I think is where hopefully if as we move forward, the departments, the government really start taking an honest look around, okay, we did the knee jerk, we got through this. Now, how can we be preventative in a, in a sense, right? How do we take the preventive measures to be proactive to start having these conversations that we're gonna have to start moving the, the dial in a different mm -hmm. way. I think we gotta move away from being culturally competent, doing all, you know, saying those wonderful words, but actually demonstrating that in the behaviors of the departments of how things are, resources are allocated, but even beyond that, how they operate and how they engage. I think that's, the big million dollar question that I think, you know, in, in, in our community, it's this, you know, show me, don't tell me, right? You don't, you don't just come and ask, how can I, how can I help you? How can I do this? But more of, let me just get in there and help you. And I, I'm and laughing only because I, I had the same thing running through my head. <laughs> it's got to be show me, don't tell me. And then it came out of your mouth. Um, you know, that, that always has more power to it than simply telling somebody what they should do and how they should do it, show them. And, and we say that, you know, about teaching somebody how to fish as opposed to just giving them fish. We, we, we've had a lot of, of those parables given to us as, as children. But this idea of being preventative and really trying to look into the future, we've heard for decades a lot of pretty words about that. Uh, but then we've seen the phrase kick the can down the road come at us so many times that people are almost inured to it or they figure that, well, that's what's going to happen anyway. Do you really think that, you know, given the government structure that we have and the way in which the departments uh, are learning to operate now, because heaven knows we've seen a lot of turnover in government departments just through the last couple of months of COVID, that this will be a lasting effect in teaching us to move from a, a very reactionary perspective to one of more of prevention? Oh, you know, if, if I had the crystal ball, I could cure so many things. Um, you couldn't know, we all, couldn't we all? I, I, you know, I, I think kind of like, you know, when we talk about the threat of mental health and feeling just so, oh, so heavy. So, right. Where do we, where do we navigate? Where do we fix? What do we fix first? And not even fix, but what do we address first? How do we, you know, create those opportunities? And even if I, if we look at it from that way, it's overwhelming. 
right? I mean, to, to just imagine the undertaking that would need to happen, huge. And then I think, well, part of, you know, okay, so they say a, a, a culture, a, a peoples can be disseminated in, uh, I think they say like, say a generation, right? But to rebuild, it's gonna take that much more long plus some to get it. We look, I mean, let's look at our native Hawaiian language or, or any, any natives or indigenous communities and those that struggle with language. Look how quickly that was snuffed out and how long it has taken us to get to this point, which is, which is there's still tons more to go. So when I look at your question of, do I think it's changes on the horizon? I want to believe that I really do. I mean, maybe that's holding on to hope, but that would mean that, and I don't want to be disrespectful in any way, but I think that those that have been in those seats or in those systems for, a, for an extended period of time and who've been raised in that system, it's really hard to, to see that there's another way. It's really hard to change and be innovative. I think we use all these wonderful, fluffy, pretty words of innovation and partnerships and, and, mm. and that. And no, we're a team. I, so, okay, so for me, and I just gotta share this because I think there's, there's layers of, of what that means to be a true partner. And you're not just a partner. You start off as teamwork. We might work together, we know each other. We, Beth and you and I met each other. We have conversations. We see that we're some, there's some, we have some similar thinking. Maybe we don't always agree on things, but we know what we can do to make things work. I know what I can call you on, you know what you can call me on, things like that. And then the years go by, we, we, we have some success, maybe some failures in projects, but we can have some real conversations. I can tell you like, I, Beth, Beth Ann, I, I really don't think that it's going to be useful for us. I don't think it's meaningful. And we can have those hard conversations, right? It's like we're dating, we're dating. And partnership means, and I've said this in other talks, is when, I, is when we're walking down the aisle, we're buying a house, right. maybe not even walking down the aisle because people can choose to not, but we've, we've invested way more to, to separate from things that we work on, it's gonna be a little bit more hard. It's gonna, it's gonna right, take more, right, it's gonna right. hurt, it's gonna, I'm gonna grieve. There's a partnership, ending of a partnership means that in some way I'm gonna mourn that. When you think, let's just think about this. Do we truly have true partnerships in many of these situations? No, we're, we're teamwork, we're, we're getting funds, we're doing X, Y, Z, to get extra, you know, to get the dollars. That's part, that's a teamwork. We might collaborate because we have years, we've been doing this for 20 years. Um, but, but maybe, and that might be okay, but maybe my partnership is when I turn around and I have the community in which I serve, whether it's the community of Papakolea in homesteads, whether the community is Kupuna that reside in a nursing home, whether community is my zip code, right? Or my halal, that is the partnership piece because that is what is going to have the change. That's where, that's where the, the values and the meaningfulness comes from. I would love to see if I turn to where the funding and the resources come from, that those become partnerships. But that's a, that's a big ask because the big piece of partnership is trust. And if I can't trust you, how am I going to trust that you're not going to mess my community up? Right? Because there's, right, there's also another element in there of control. Because when you have partnership, there is usually dual control or at least some real import right. that well, someone that, feels that they well, can I have make. To dance. Well, I have to dance with you right. in a partnership. Right. Right. And you might you know, in a partnership, I'm going to trust that you might, Bethan, you might have the bag of, of coins, of gold coins, that's going to pay for all this stuff. But 
we're going to know that maybe right now you're going to hold it, but my value and my resource comes with the people, right? So you're not going to use that bag of coins and jingle it in front of me to say, okay, now jump through the hoops. It's going to be, I have this, Sherry. So what can we do with it together? You know, because I don't know, but I know of my gold coins, I got to take some of it because I have my own overhead. But this is what we got. What can we do with it? Right. So I, I, I think that's going to be, I don't know. I don't, I really honestly do not know if the current structure is capable of that big shift in thinking. I think some smaller divisions within these large departments could. But for then example, again, within the Department of Health, take that one, for example, because that one's obviously what we're dealing with now with COVID and and we'll be going forward. And plus, you know, issues of health equity that have been longstanding have been right. very much seated within, obviously, the Department of Health. Uh, so if I take that one, if I just take that one, I'm going to say probably the, the most, the alcohol and drug abuse division. Now, I'm not saying everybody, that things are wonderful and roses and sunshine, but I think they um, have demonstrated in the, in the Latin, the last several years, their ability to really look at cultural programming and what that means, right? What that means in terms of what somebody who's native Hawaiian comes out with in terms of treatment, how they're integrating cultural anchoring and understanding in the work that they're doing, right? To just, I, I'm a very strong believer that just because you take a group you know, to the, to the tarot fields to go <laughs> clean, to clean a lo'i, that does not make it a cultural program. But if you tell mm -hmm. me that you're helping um, those participants understand the cycle, where that water comes from, how it's nourishing, you know, when, connection, when, connection all. to yeah. all, and then connecting it to your recovery, connecting it to your mental health, connecting it to, right, and, and living those values that is way more. And so I, I think ADAD has really tried uh, and in some cases been successful in trying to integrate that. But remember, they're small in compared to the conglomerate of what the Department of Health is. So I, I think that's a really great example. I think another great example is, and this is only for COVID, so it's not across all, they were able to disaggregate the data, right? So somebody can go now and look at their website and they can see that. However, let's just take data then. Is that something that can be done in all divisions of Department of Health? Because they've already started. And what if that's done across all state departments? You know, there is a state law about including and, and having, you know, this whole understanding of culture, of Native Hawaiian culture values embedded in their, their dealings. I don't think they really use it, right? It's one of those feel good, check a box, wonderful. And then it comes back to who checks? Where's the accountability, right? 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 Who's checking to see when um, the departments put out, you know, money asking feds for dollars and they're using native Hawaiians or Pacific Islanders as their marginalized community. Yet they don't, they may not have had conversations with those providers that are actually on the ground. Um, I, think it's, I think it's really important for any of our communities to even understand what our lanes are, what lanes we operate in, because I think as we're gonna really need to, so yeah, we can put a lot of onus on the, gov on the departments and where the resources come in, but I think in communities, we also need to ready ourselves for the change. And that's also meaning understanding what lanes we're in. So if my lane is health and I know education or housing, weaves into my lane, that's great. Then I need to make sure I have relationships with those partners, but I'm not going to go driving in their lane. And it's, it's that whole belief, right? If I'm walking down the street and I see my neighbor has, you know, mangoes on the tree, I'm not going to go stop and pick it. I'm going to go and make a, hey, auntie, uncle, you know, I see you have mangoes, or I'm going to come and do kind of a reciprocal exchange. But that's the thing is I think sometimes communities are trying to get those resources as quickly and as 
you know, as needed as possible. And they, they just kind of overstep each other. I, I don't want to be cryptic in thinking that also is a benefit to those that hold the resources, right? Because that also pays into their power. So I think as communities, we have to recognize our own values and our power and not chase because we think that that's all there's ever gonna be, right? And so it's really changing our thinking and our paradigm. And then let's layer that with what's going on in the world. How do we, how do we say that, uh, keep that as our North Star in a way, right? When everything else is bombarding on people. You know, when, and I shared with you, Bethan, that, you know, yesterday or Thursday was my, um, was my day to go to the grocery store, right? And walk around aimlessly. Um, and that's my self-care, you know? So how do we do that when there's so many other things that people have as their top priorities, you know? So I think it's figuring out who your support is and almost doing that wrestling thing of, I'm gonna tag you, Bethan, because I need a break. Right? And that comes with the partnership and the trust too. Because then I know you're not going to use that against me for your own benefit. And so I think that's really- And that's important. the bottom. And that, I think that's the, really the, the bottom line for all of this as we move through COVID and mm -hmm. into whatever comes next, how vaccines will be disseminated, all of that. You and I could probably go on with this for oh hours gosh. and hours. And I know we've gone on for- uh, quite a while now and I just want I want to thank you and I know we'll have another conversation hopefully soon as we yeah. begin to move through this but now as we're in this hot October I, I hope that there will be some some cool thoughts as how we move forward and to be able to create those real partnerships not just in in you know name only or that papers right. over or a lot of old stuff but where we're able to really make some positive change in the health and well-being of the Native Hawaiian community. And that, of course, supports the greater community and everything that, that Hawaii is and is so attractive to the rest of the world. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you, Beth. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for joining us for another episode of From Anxiety to Clarity. If you have an idea for another conversation, you can let me know. My email is coslawb at sutterhealth.org. And if you have a question that you have burning, send it to us and we'll make sure that you get an answer if at all possible. We have friends throughout the mental health community. If you have a particular question about that, we'll get you an answer. Otherwise, we will see you next time for another conversation to take us from anxiety to clarity. Aloha.